0: good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. We appreciate uh, some of your time this morning as we work our way around the world of sports. We've got Pete Mazzetti coming up at 9.15 this morning, a little earlier than usual. So uh, we're going to... uh, uh, be a little be uh, a little bit different in our format this morning, so Pete's going to be coming up at 9.15 to talk about what's coming up on the Pete Mazzetti Show, also to remember our friend John Clark. Uh, we've got the memorial uh, service online coming up on Sunday. I hope you can join us for that. Um, so before we get to Pete's visit with us this morning, uh, a follow-up on the story we had yesterday about Duxbury High School in Massachusetts. They have now fired their football coach. Uh, look, they had no choice here. This is if you missed the show yesterday. Uh, Duxbury High School, uh, in their first game of the season, were using uh, audible plays at the line of scrimmage with, um, well, some of them were Jewish references, some of them were anti-Semitic references, some of them were just plain, uh, you know, uncalled for. Um, and, uh, there had been, once that word came out, there'd been cries to have the coach fired and, uh, uh, they did it yesterday. They had, they had no choice and you know what, but you know what bothered me about this? So there was a story in the Boston globe this morning about his firing and they interviewed a bunch of different people in the town. And yet there are people in the town that don't agree with what happened here. You know, some of them do, obviously. They were outraged. And, but there are others that say, hey, uh, you know, wh- what's the big deal? You know, uh, you know, he's a good guy kind of thing. You know, my son played for him. He was, you know, a great mentor to my son, yada, yada, yada. That is all well and good. And, and, and by the way, in addition to losing his coaching position, uh, Dave uh, Mamarin, the head coach, has also been placed on administrative leave from his role as a special education teacher at the school. Um, now, the union is involved in this, of course, and it's going to get messy. And, and by the way, uh, the school, when this happened, they immediately uh, got involved with a public relations firm called Ellis Strategies. It's working with the town school district to kind of handle this thing. And I'm sure they said to him, You got to get this guy out. Out of the line of fire immediately, and we got to get this to cool down. So he's been placed on leave from his teaching position and lost his job. But the fact that there are p- people in the town that said, "Ah, you know, it's not that bad." Look, it, it was obviously, and now how they came up with this, I don't know. You know w- why they came up with this? I, I look, I don't know that Dave Mameran is a is a, an anti semite. Maybe this was something that was concocted by one of the stupid kids that, you know, thought it would be funny. You know, I don't know. But at the end of the day, there went, with no matter what we do, whether it was uh, malicious, whether it was meant to be mean-spirited, whatever it was, or whether it was just dumb, there has to be consequences for the actions. And so somebody's head had to roll here. There was no question about that. And, you look, you can make the case— that, you know, some of the words that they use, like, you know, dreidel, uh, you know, and, and rabbi, I mean, you could maybe get away, you know, you could maybe say, ah, you know, what's the big deal? But when you use an audible play, or audible call to the line of scrimmage that says Auschwitz, there is no explanation for that. There is no way you can justify that. And with all the connotations of what that word brings out, There is no doubt that it should not have happened. So, you know, something, he had to lose his job. And look, this guy has won five Super Bowl titles. They've won like six or seven straight uh, conference titles. He's got a record of 159 and 43. Great coach. And you know what? He's probably a great teacher. And he may be a great dad. But he's an idiot. You know, he allowed this to happen on his watch. Whether and, and again, whether it was his idea or the kids, it doesn't matter. And 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 at the end of the day, even if he didn't know it and the first time he heard it. Well, no, it couldn't be the first time he heard it in the game because they're going to run it in practice. And you can't say, well, he maybe he didn't pay attention. At the end of the day, he is the head coach. You are responsible for everything that happens, even if it was a player that concocted this, whether it was an assistant coach that concocted this idea. At the end of the day, the head coach is responsible for everything that happens with that program, and they had no choice. And, and I feel bad, for, you know, for for the kid's family and and for the you know the family uh, because they're going to take abuse for this. Um, I. I you know, I, I hope he gets his teaching job back. I think, you know, unless we find out that there is some kind of uh, he has some kind of history of anti semitism, and there is going to be a full investigation, and the union's involved in it, and they, they have to, if they if there is a chance for him to get his job back, they have to do an investigation and find out this was some kind of an an outlier that this was just some stupid thing that that happened, and he let it go, and he didn't, re, you know, retain control of his program. You know, if it was that. You can understand, you know what I mean? But if it was, you know, if it was uh, that that we find he's got some history of saying or, you know, anti-Semitic things or whatever, then, you know, he shouldn't get his job back. He shouldn't get his football coaching job back. There has to be, that has to be, you know, that has to be the consequence. Look, in the NCAA, you know, there's a there's a uh, when they talk about what's going on with violations of NCAA rules and stuff. There's a term called institutional control. Well, there was no institutional control here, so it's unfortunate for these kids that have that played for this guy. Uh, but you know what? And and you know the other part of it, I was thinking about this was you know if you're the quarterback don't you know this is wrong? Wouldn't you have said something to your coach? Which leads me to believe that maybe the kids, you know, some of the kids were in on it. I don't know. But why didn't one of the kids step up and say, hey, coach? You know, and I know that, you know, it's still an authority figure and maybe they're a little bit, you know, reticent to to call him out on it. But somebody should have said something. And the fact that it even got to the point where this was used in a game Uh, It's unbelievable. By the way, they have canceled this week's varsity, junior varsity, and freshman games for Duxbury High School. There is questions whether the season will even continue. So for this stupid thing, they may have an entire season flushed, but what other choice did did the Duxbury school system have? None. None and look like a a reasonable uh, administration. They really had no choice. It's 14 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. Uh, We don't normally take one this early, but we're going to take a break. When we come back, Pete Mazzetti will join us. You're listening to The Wake-Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake-Up Call on a Thursday morning. And uh, we haven't talked to him in a while, but uh, Pete Mazzetti, the host of The Pete Mazzetti Show, joins us this morning. Good morning, Pete. How are you?
1: Hey, good morning, Gene.
0: How are you, my friend? Good to talk to you again. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. Uh, it's it's been some time, and uh, uh, I know that uh, it has been challenging for you during the pandemic. But you have managed to keep the show going, and uh, uh, you you must. Uh, it must be it must be kind of weird. I mean, at least in the beginning, to figure out how you were going to do this. I know for a while you were doing some stuff over Zoom. Are you back to doing stuff in the studio?
1: I am actually back in studio the way that we're structuring the show regularly for the time being is me in studio by myself, Chris Morgan in the control room with Christy Kaminsky. And also, so it's me in studio, Chris and Christy in the control room. We bring my guests in through zoom. Okay. So I am in the studio all by myself, but starting in the middle of April, the board of directors at Valley shore community television have given the okay if any of their program hosts want to have someone one guest back in studio per show.
0: Okay, well that's good news. I mean it must be strange not being able to actually I mean I, I mean Zoom I guess is great but at the same time there's not there's something right. to be said for being able to actually be in the same room so uh it, it, I'm sure you're looking forward to that.
1: Oh, I'm definitely looking forward to that. And like I told Chris Morgan last night when we talked, I am actually not doing my first in studio guest with my first in studio show with a guest until after I got my shots.
0: <laughs> you know, what? not a bad idea, uh, especially so, well, especially now that that uh, the state of Connecticut has opened it up what to forty five and older now. So uh, yeah, you know, it I mean, we're getting to a point, and supposedly by May one, it's going to be open to everybody. So you know, we got to hope that we're getting to a point where uh, we're about to turn the corner with this thing.
1: Exactly. I'm, I'm hoping to have, a somewhat, no, have somewhat of a normal life and sort of get back to the normalcy of being Pete Mazzetti and being out and talking to people on the street and being able to interview somebody in studio because, like, I'm sure you know, if you do your show through Zoom there are, there could be technical difficulties of zoom freezing or having right. rebuffering issues or whatever the case may be.
0: Well, the good news is, is I sit in a studio all by myself with all my friends, just me, myself and I, so <laughs> I, I don't have, I don't have that concern. But uh, one of the other reasons I wanted to have you on this morning is uh, yeah. uh, for folks that, that uh, have listened to my show for the last, by the way, we're getting ready to have our third anniversary. So for the people that have been listening to us for the last few years and uh Been uh, living in Middlesex County. Uh, we all remember WCNX Radio. We all remember John Clark, who recently passed away. And I know he was a longtime guest uh, on your show. What What do you want people to know, or what do you remember most about John Clark? Gene,
1: that's a loaded question. Well,
0: I I know, but you know. <laughs>
1: what I remember most about John Clark is he was one of the most wonderful people. When I was first getting the Pete Mazzetti show started back when I was with Comcast, he actually gave Pete Mazzetti a chance and the Pete Mazzetti show was actually on WCNX radio back then. But then, then I changed over to Valley shore and he brought over, he brought the show back over. So him and Judy Clark, who I actually spoke, I talked to Judy the other day, and she's doing well. And Judy and John gave me one of the first shots of b- having my show on the radio. And then you ca- and then you came along, and all my, all my other radio affiliates. And now, now the show has blossomed and grown. And it's, I wouldn't be, I would be remiss to say John was a wonderful person, wonderful man, and he actually gave me the shot to get, to basically get my head out of, you know, where to basically broadcast on the station. Like, like John, I'll remember, I'll never forget one of the last things John said to me was, Hey, Mazzetti, you know what? It's a lot easier to breathe with your head up somewhere <laughs> than your head out of somewhere. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, that's one thing with John Clark, you know, one of the things I remember <laughs> the most about him is he was never afraid yeah. to give you advice even if you didn't want well, to hear it <laughs> he,
1: absolutely absolutely he was, absolutely he was all, he was always he was always wanting to st- basically give you advice like you said even though if you didn't want to hear it he'd give it to you anyway and most of sometimes it made sense and sometimes it was far fetched and out there and you just just had to listen.
0: Well, you know, but but part of you know a lot of people thought that he was nuts when he and Judy started internet radio because they started it really at the beginning. You know, before <laughs> right. before podcasts and internet radio became a thing, they were one of the early ones. I mean, they did it for 15 years and they were kind of in the yeah. uh on the ground floor of that and I think they showed people, well, my show wouldn't exist, you know, if it wasn't for yeah, I them. Know. I mean, I, I started my station because of what they did, but I think a lot of people yeah. thought that they were crazy. But look at the following that, that uh, they drew over the years, especially for their, their live sports.
1: Right, exactly. And, and actually, most of what, 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 our, what our listeners don't know is my show wouldn't exist on, w, on Sports Country Radio without John Clark, because it was because of John who introduced me to you. Right. I had you on with me one night and I said to you off camera, off the air, what, well, Hey, what, what does Pete, does Eddie have to do to get his show on your station? And you were like, all I've got to do is find a time slot for you.
0: Um, how many times John was on your show quite a few times, wasn't he?
1: John, John was on my show quite a few times. One of the last times that John was on with me, I believe you were with us.
0: Well, okay. All right. And it was
1: that, and it, and, and, and it was it was it was actually that it was actually that long ago that John was on my show. And when I when I talked to Judy, when I, when we knew John, when we knew John was sick, he was like, I'm not doing any more interviews. I'm retiring quietly. Yeah. I'm like, okay I'm like, I'm like I can I'm like John I can certainly respect
0: that. Well, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad that we had a chance to talk about this. I want to let uh, folks know one more time uh, that might remember John. We are going to have a uh, online remembrance on Facebook live His son Brian is doing this on Sunday night uh, at seven o'clock on Facebook live. Anybody that wants to, that knew John or, or wants to hear some funny stories about John. Uh, we encourage you. Uh, uh, there's a link to it on my Facebook page or the Sports Country Radio Facebook page. You can find it there. Uh, and I hope uh, I hope folks will have a chance to join us. It's going to be Sun this Sunday night uh, coming up at uh, seven o'clock Eastern Time. Pete, who you got coming up on your show in the future weeks?
1: Oh, Gene, 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 we got all sorts of good guests. As a matter of fact, this week that for that's going to run on your show on Saturday, I had. I did the show earlier in the week. I had Rob Deary, who is the Master Sergeant with the Connecticut State Police on with me, which you, your your viewers and listen your listeners will hear that Saturday. But my second guest on Saturday, this is one for you, is I had Doctor Carissa Niehoff on with me. She's the executive director of the NFHS.
0: Oh the oh National Federation of High Schools. They do a lot of uh, broadcasting of stuff here yep. in the state of Connecticut. That's great. Yep. Oh, that should be yeah, I'd, that I'd, should be fun.
1: Oh, that was that was actually a good interview, and I like I said, Dr. Niehoff, because her offices she's actually not based in Connecticut. Her offices are actually in Indianapolis. She shares the same office complex as the NCAA.
0: Okay, all right, well that's great.
1: So that's 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 this week on Sports Country. But I also have Eric Hammerling from the Connecticut Forest and Park Association coming up. I also have Max Sabrin, who is the public information officer for the old Sabre Fire Department coming up, talking about a food drive that they have coming up. I have Chris Samaskovich coming up, who's the chairman of the town council for the town of Clinton as well.
0: Well, you can listen to the Pete Mazzetti show here on Sports Country Radio every Saturday at 6 p.m. And, of course, if you're down on the shore, you can find them on uh, Valley Shore Community Television. Pete, it was great to talk to you again, my friend. Uh, Best of luck with the show, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. You got it. All right. You got it. Thanks. All right. Have a great day, Pete Mazzetti Here on Sports Country Radio, um, you know Pete's uh, Pete's show has it really has blossomed quite a bit. It it it's amazing. Um, uh, how well that show is done. And, and his Rolodex, I'd love to get a hold of his Rolodex. The people he has on that show, I mean, it is, is amazing. Um, all right, let's get back to sports. Uh, and once again, the uh, show for John Clark uh, is going to be Sunday night, 7 o'clock on Facebook Live. Uh, you can find the link to it on our uh, Facebook page. Hope you can join us. Um, the other big thing I saw last night in the sports world, and this one blew me away, and it's not a shock, by the way, uh, and, and I say, and I say not a shock. It, it's Tim Peel, who has been a referee in the National Hockey League since 1999, was fired yesterday by the NHL. Uh, this is a guy that has officiated over 1,400 regular season NHL games. He lost his job yesterday because he got caught on a hot mic on television. Uh, saying that he was going to call a penalty on a particular team just because he wanted to uh, get it out of the way or kind of uh, uh, even the ledger a little bit. It was, you know, what you might call a makeup call. Um, and it's one of those dirty little secrets in hockey. What do I mean by that? Well,. I've watched a lot of NHL games over the years. I have worked a lot of hockey games, college hockey games, and minor league hockey games over the years, uh, including being an an, an off-ice official doing the score sheet and all that stuff. It is absolutely amazing to me when you look at a box score at the end of a hockey game and you look at how many penalties have been called in the game, you will almost always find That the number of penalties called against the two teams is even or within one every time almost. I mean, it's, you know, obviously it's not every time, but it is more often than not. And it always amazed me. And, you know, all of a sudden you'd you'd look and at, at some point in the game, you know, one team would have had four penalties called against them, the other team's only had one. But by the end of the game, you know, maybe it's five to four or six to five or something like that. It's amazing how that happens. And, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, you say coincidence. No, I don't think it is. You know, it's kind of the great uh, secret in hockey. And, you know, the, uh, the vice president of operations for the NHL, Colin Campbell, yesterday said, look, you know, we have to ensure the integrity of our game. It's the most important thing that we can do. And he's right. I mean, regardless of what game. I mean, look at they've had to do it in the NBA where they've had uh, referees involved in gambling, and they had to get them the hell out of there because there was a chance that they were going to uh, affect the outcome of a game. You know, there's been issues in the NFL. They have they have to do that with their officials. And to have an official come right out on the TV broadcast and say, I'm going to call a penalty on this team and then do it, they had no choice. Um, you know, and some of the coaches around the league, Paul Maurice, uh, former coach of the Hartford Whalers guy that's been a coach in the league now for 23 years. He said, look, make up calls. We know about them. I mean, he said they've been around forever. He said now they, it was much more common in the past. He doesn't think it's done as frequently now as it used to be. He said, he said he knows for sure that there are times that referees blow calls and he said they would make it up they would make up for it they would call one on the other team even if it wasn't wasn't a penalty because they knew they had blown one earlier in the game he said absolutely it happens um you know so but but the again kind of like with the with the football coach in Massachusetts the NHL had no choice here Now, as far as Tim Peel goes, he's 54 years old. He was planning on retiring next month anyway. But this is a black eye for the NHL. And this is going to be one of those things where now for the rest of the season, since this has come out, anytime a a kind of a funky little penalty is called, people are going to be like, oh, well, was that really a penalty? I mean, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe they're making it up. You know, maybe he's trying to even the score, you know, um, and and what concerns me about it, too, is that then if it gets too bad and and I hope it doesn't get to this. I mean, this is kind of an extreme example, but, you know, what are we going to have now? Uh, Every time there's a penalty call, are we going to have to go to video replay to make sure it really was a penalty? God, I hope not. But you could actually, you know, when something like this comes out, you could see where people are going to ask for it. And you can see where some coach is going to be pissed off in the middle of a game, when a, when something gets called on him, and he's going to uh, you know say something to a referee. You know it's going to happen. But that was, I was saw that one last night, kind of open the eyes. And but but again, you know, and 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 with. What goes on today with all the television coverage, with all the social media coverage, there's microphones, there's cameras everywhere. You can't get away with saying or doing anything in this world without getting caught by somebody. You know, I mean, seriously, somebody is, you know, everybody's got a camera on their phone. You know, when the game is being televised or is on the radio, there are microphones everywhere. I mean, look at look in the NFL, you know, those um, parabolic mics they have on the sideline in an NFL game. They could pick up a cricket farting in the middle of a, uh, of a football game. I mean, those things are powerful. You can't get away with saying anything. It's going to get caught. If some if some coach uh, in the NFL or the NHL or the NBA or anything you know yells something at a referee, God forbid it be some kind of a racial slur or an anti-Semitic slur or anything like that, it's going to get picked up. And if it's you know and if it's hey I'm making this one up because you know they're losing two nothing so I got to give them a break, it's going to get picked up. You know, so you can't get away with that stuff. So, again, it's one of those where Tim Peel tied the NHL's hands and they had no choice. The only question now is, and, again, they have a union, the only question now is is by doing that, how is that going to affect Peel's? I'm sure they have some kind of re- pension or some kind of retirement with the, uh, the NHL referees, uh, and so you just wonder how it's going to affect that. But, again, you know, stupid is as stupid does. Uh, All right, uh, let's get to uh, college basketball last night. Now, of course, the men's tournament is off until the weekend. We had the uh, second half of the second round of the women's tournament last night, and uh, there were a couple of pretty good games, and there were a couple of uh, high seeds that were very close to being bounced out of the tournament last night. Uh, Number two, Louisville, just barely got by Northwestern. I should I say just barely. They ended up beating them by nine, but they were down, Louisville was twenty five to seven late in the first quarter. They were down twelve midway through the third, then went on a 17-0 run to take control of the game. But uh they got everything they could handle from Northwestern last night. They end up, you know, advancing and uh, twenty five and three, and but still, uh, that was a scary one last night. Uh, another uh, close one last night, and I watched the second half of this one. Texas A and M and Iowa State. What a great game! Um, it was one of those where A uh, and M ends up winning it at the buzzer in the overtime as uh, they take down seven seeded Iowa State. But this was a game. That Iowa State had a couple of opportunities in the last 30 seconds of overtime to win it. Um and uh they their offense went stagnant. Absolutely excuse me, absolutely stagnant. They they got the ball down into the offensive end and they had a girl twice on two straight possessions. One of the AM players or one of the uh, Iowa State players tried to dribble through a double team, got stripped. And Jordan Nixon picked up the ball, ran the length of the court, threw one up from just inside the foul line. It banks off the glass, goes in at the buzzer, and and Texas A&M escapes. Uh, But that was another number two seed that was uh, nearly bounced out of the tournament. Now they get to play uh, number three seed Arizona in the round of 16. And uh, Arizona had all it could handle yesterday with BYU. So this women's tournament, and I said, look, there's not going to be a lot of big upsets in the women. It doesn't usually happen. And there haven't been many, to be sure. There were a couple in, in the first round, 13-seed, uh, Wright State one. They got destroyed yesterday. Um, you know, so there weren't too many, but there were a few. Uh, there was one upset yesterday. Uh, number three, Georgia, fell to six-seeded Oregon yesterday. Now, that's not a huge upset, but Oregon wins it 57-50. to What's notable about this one? Well, two things. Uh, Oregon was playing this game without a couple of their regulars. And uh, Sedona Prince, uh, who was a bench player most of the season, has had to come off the bench and become a starter. Well, she scored 22 points yesterday. Um, And uh, she and Naira Sabali took control of this game. Sabali actually scored six straight points uh, to break open a tie game and uh, help Oregon. Oregon beat Georgia 57-50. Sedona Prince also is the young lady that exposed the differentiation of the weight rooms between the men and the women in the NCAA tournament. She's the one that had the video and said, hey, let me show you our weight room. Now look at the men's. She was the one uh, that forced some big-time changes. Uh, other upset yesterday, UCLA got absolutely uh, whacked by Texas last night. Uh, UCLA, I believe, was the... Three or four seed, and they got uh, Texas kicked the crap out of them. I watched the first, first—I uh, don't know—the first ten minutes of this game uh, before I called it a night, and it wasn't close. It wasn't close. I think Texas ended up winning it by about a dozen, but uh, UCLA really never was in that game. Uh, the Boston Celtics last night. Um, yikes! Now they—you look at the final score—they lost a hundred and. 21 to 119 to a pretty good Milwaukee Bucks team. But the Celtics were down in this game by 25 in the third quarter. Uh, they did a hell of a job. I mean, I'll, I'll give them that. They were down 25 midway through the third. But, and, and they worked their asses off to get back in this game. Uh, they got it back within two on a, a, a Brown, a Jalen Brown three-pointer with about a minute and a half to go. And they had, I want to say, four chances in the last minute to win this game. And they had a great chance at the buzzer to win the game. Daniel Tice was alone in the corner. Now, look, he's not a guy that you think of as a three-point shooter. Now, he did take four of them last night, but he's he's not one of their big, deep threats. Well, on an inbounds pass with a couple of seconds left, they left him alone in the corner. And the Celtics found him. He was wide open and fired it up, and it uh, was just a little bit too strong, fell off, and they lose by a couple of points. It would have been the biggest comeback in the NBA this year, coming back from 25. But And, and, you know, you'll look at it and you say, well, you know, they shot the ball well. They shot well from three. They couldn't guard anybody. I mean, good Lord, their defense was horrendous. You know, and everybody just assumed when Marcus Smart came back that, you know, the Celtics' defense hadn't been very good. Well, Marcus Smart's coming back, and everything's going to be okay. Yeah, no, it wasn't okay. (laughs) Their defense was porous. Milwaukee shot over 50% from the field. They shot 48% from three-point range. Uh, You know, the Celtics just, they can't guard anybody. Celtics had six guys in double figures. Kemba Walker had a great game. You know, Walker has been struggling but uh, he was 5 of 9 from 3 last night. You know, it was a game that you would have liked to have seen to get, but now the Celtics are two games under five hundred. The trade deadline is today. If they are going to have a chance to do anything this season, Danny Ainge has got to pull the trigger on a trade today or it's over. You know, and I wonder if it should be over. You know, now the the thing is is that the Eastern Conference is really wide open when you look at it. The Celtics are two games under five hundred, and right now they are the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. Eighth. They're ten games back of Philly, but you know what? Philly's a beatable team. That Milwaukee team, look, you know, Giannis, we know how great he is. We know Chris Middleton is good. Middleton had a great game last night. He had twenty seven points, thirteen rebounds. But they are a beatable team as well. The Brooklyn Nets, yeah, they've got some great scorers on there, but they are, uh, first of all, they can't keep them all on the court at the same time. Uh, and, and it's a team that that looks like half the time they look disinterested. You know, Charlotte, Miami, New York, Atlanta, those are all beatable teams. I mean, the Celtics are the eighth seed right now, but they're a game and a half uh, from being the fourth seed. So Danny Ainge has got to make a move today. Look, he's got that big trade exception for $28.5 million that he can throw out there. Uh, he's got draft picks that he can he can use. Uh, he hates trading draft picks, though. He likes getting them, but he doesn't like to trade them. But if they don't find some help off the bench and somebody who can play defense, they're screwed. Their bench scoring is absolutely awful. Robert Williams, 20 minutes off the bench, six points. Grant Williams, 19 minutes off the bench, five points. Jeff Teague played a little bit better last night, but they've got nothing coming off this bench. So they've got to do something today, or as far as I'm concerned, just put a fork in them, and this season's over. So we'll see what Ainge has planned today. It's uh, 41 minutes past Yeah, We're going to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. It is 43 minutes past the hour here on a Thursday morning. Uh, Let's get to some baseball news from yesterday. And if you are a San Diego Padre fan, you can breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, It appears that Fernando Tatis Jr. is feeling better today or was feeling better yesterday, a day after coming out of the game, uh, after feeling some discomfort in that left shoulder. Uh, They're going to give him a couple of days off. um, But uh, they said that he appears to be okay. I mean, look, uh, 14 years, $340 million. If he needs to take the next week off, if you're the Padres, that's what you have to do. Uh, You know, and I was thinking about this, and I, and I, 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 well, actually, I hadn't thought about it until I was reading a story in the Associated Press this morning about Tatis. You know, he got this huge contract from san diego think about this for a minute this kid hasn't even played the equivalent of a full season in major league baseball he has not even played 162 games in his career and he got a 14 year 340 million dollar contract now the funny part is There's not a lot of people saying that the Padres were nuts for doing this. Okay. That's first of all. I mean, I mean, is it nuts to give any professional athlete, you know, $25 million a year for 14 years? Well, yeah. But having said that, you know, uh, he's played 143 games. Now in those 143 games, he's hitting 301, 39 homers, 98 runs batted in. That's great. But here's the thing, his rookie season he had a hamstring injury and then some kind of a stress reaction in his lower back that limited him to 84 games. And, of course, last year he only played in 60 games. So, you know, and then now supposedly this shoulder issue that he has is something that he has had for a while, and it has bothered him a couple of times already in spring training and so you wonder, you know, is this kid going to be one of those fragile ones where when he's on the field, he's great, but can we keep him on the field? <laughs> so time will tell, but uh, at least for now, Padre fans can go, because he'll uh, he'll be back in action. The other big news out of baseball yesterday is that uh, the league announced that it is going to be watching – much more closely whether players are putting things on the baseball, whether there is some kind of foreign substance being used, whether the ball is being intentionally scuffed up or cut or whatever, um, because uh, because they they feel that some of the things going on right now with some of the the incredible changes in pitchers' spin rates, et cetera, spin rates. You know, one of those new analytics I don't want to hear anything about. But they think that, you know, well, they know for a fact that there are pitchers that are using and putting sticky substances on their fingers to help them grip the ball better so that they can get more spin when they throw the ball. So what they're going to start doing is they're going to start looking at MLB has the statcast data which is you know that tells you how what well, not just speed, but how much the ball breaks, how fast it's spinning. Uh, it, it's got all different kinds of, of information they can get. So that statcast data is going to be reviewed by the commissioner's office to analyze spin rate changes among pitchers that they think are using foreign substances, comparing that game data with their career norms. So, you know, I don't know what a good spin rate is. I have no idea. But let's just say it's spinning at 100 times a minute or 100 times a second. I don't know what, I have no idea what a good spin rate is. So I'm just making up a number. So if in a game it's at 100, but his career norm is 75, they're going to say, well, something's going on here. Uh, The other thing that's going to happen is they are going to have people at the ballparks, compliance people, that are going to take random baseballs that are thrown out of play to see if uh, there's anything going on. And those will be brought back to a lab to see if uh, something, you know, and, and they'll put them in and see if something's been done to the baseball. So, um, you know, and they're also, of course, they're going to continue to monitor the electronics use and all that other stuff and, uh, and there's going to be daily reports to the commissioner's office so it's like it sounds like the commissioner's office has created a police force to it, they, it's it seems like they think there there is some kind of massive amount of cheating going on now here's the thing cheating and and i i use that term loosely okay uh but this kind of stuff, you know, unlike what happened in Houston with banging on the garbage cans and using the electronic, using video to know, you know, and steal signs to know what's coming. Stealing signs has been going on in Major League Baseballs forever. But, you know, but it is a big difference between using video that you can then, you know, back up and analyze and figure out the pitch sequence and and so figure out exactly what's coming and some and a, and a batter standing a a runner standing at second base being able to tell. Uh but sign stealing has gone on forever. Houston just took it to a new level. But doctoring a baseball, that's been going on forever. I mean, look, Gaylord Perry was, you know, the, you know, the doctor of of doing that. Uh, there have been so many pitchers that used what used to call the old spitball, or the Vaseline ball, or whatever, or you know, or putting things on a baseball or doctoring a baseball. Jerry Remy told a story yesterday during the Red Sox game that was on NESN that when he was with the California Angels, now he did not he did not say which pitcher it was, but he said there was a specific pitcher on the Angels that liked to have a cut baseball. So what he did was he then took Jerry Remy's belt buckle and he filed it down so it had a sharp edge on it. And every time a ball was hit to Remy or any time a ball was thrown back to Remy, you know, as they throw it around the infield, Remy would take the ball, you know, in kind of like, you know, in a quick motion and then rub it against his belt buckle and, and cut the ball up a little bit, and then finish throwing it around the infield, and the pitcher would get it back, and the ball's doctored. He didn't say who it was, but Ben and Dave O'Brien said. So you're basically telling me you cheated, <laughs> and you know, I mean, it was kind of like humming, humming, humming. But he's like, well, you know, I mean, it's just what you know. What's you know that was common then. So. And there's, we know that's gone on. I mean, we've seen pitchers get thrown out of games. I, was it Gaylord Perry that got thrown out for having sandpaper, I think, or something in his pocket? I mean, we, or a nail file. We've seen it for years. It's gone on. But now they think that it is uh, much more prevalent and that pitchers are trying, you know, they've gotten so into these analytics and they're trying to figure out ways to get even more spin rate that they're taking the cheating to a next level. Now, MLB has said that you know they are coming up with a new kind of thing to rub the balls up with in the past it's always been mud from like the Chesapeake Bay or some p- specific area that they used to rub the balls up with before the game. They would give the umpires a couple of dozen balls and they would be and the umpire's job used to be to rub them up with this particular dirt or mud that came from one place. I can't remember where I think it was the Chesapeake Bay or something. But anyway, uh, MLB supposedly is coming up with some new substance that they're going to have the balls rubbed up with prior to every game, so that the pitchers can get a better grip. And Jerry Remy said it yesterday as well. He said, "I don't know about you, but if I'm up at the plate, I want the pitcher to make sure he has a good grip on that baseball. You know, that way I don't have to worry about him, you know, <laughs> losing control of the baseball and having it hit me in the head. You know, uh, so." But now it sounds like Major League Baseball thinks it's worse, so uh, they are going to, uh, to police it. And they said, look, if you get caught, fines and suspensions are coming. <sighs> uh, a couple other things from Major League Baseball yesterday. Uh, Red Sox. Nate Evaldi looked pretty good yesterday for Boston. Now, you know, uh, he got through the first f- four innings in, like, 50 pitches. It was great. Uh, he pitched into the sixth. He went five and two-thirds, four hits, Struck out three, only walked one, which was great. Um, uh, he did get helped out by a couple of double plays, but by and large, he looked really good. The other thing that was encouraging yesterday for the Red Sox, Sawamura, the uh, pitcher they signed out of Japan, had his first perfect inning in spring training, pitched an inning and a third, struck out a couple. Adevino came on after that. He struck out two. So those two guys combined for two and a third innings, st- four strikeouts, no hits, no walks. You know, if that is what we have to look forward to, and the way Matt Barnes has pitched this spring training, I love that. You know, the only problem is now is getting the pitchers to get us into the sixth, seventh inning uh, so we can get to that part of the bullpen. But that certainly uh, looks very promising, and it was good to see Evaldi. That was certainly the best that he has looked uh, all spring. Uh, Yankees got beat yesterday. David Garcia, who was – um, kind of battling for a spot in the rotation. Probably lost that spot yesterday, three innings. Uh, he gave up seven hits, four runs, and a couple of bombs. Uh, and uh, so he got knocked out of there early. They got beat by the Blue Jays, 5-0. Uh, but, again, th- the results don't matter. What matters if you're looking at the Yankees is that means Davy Cruz is headed to AAA uh, for the start of the season. Uh, the Mets yesterday, uh, Corey Oswald got the start. Looked pretty good. Four innings, just a couple of hits. Struck out three, didn't walk anybody. And, again, if you're a Mets fan, what you're happy with is Jarese Familia came out, pitched a scoreless inning. Dylan Patances came out. He pitched a scoreless inning. So that has to give you some hope uh, if you are a Mets fan because that bullpen has been awful uh, the last couple of years. Um, Brock Holt who is now a member of the Texas Rangers was informed yesterday that he is going to make the team. He was with the Rangers as a uh, non-roster invitee. So they are going to be uh, adding him to the 40 man roster. So uh, old friend Brock Holt uh, back uh, in baseball, he is with the Texas Rangers. So uh, uh, really happy to see that. Lance McCullers signed a new contract with Houston yesterday yesterday. Uh, that will take effect after this season it's from 2022 to 2026 uh 85 million bucks not too bad um he's getting paid six and a half million bucks this year and uh his five-year deal will pay him uh, 85 million dollars so that's about what about uh 15 million bucks a year not too bad uh so good for him i mean uh he's pitched well this spring as well he's pitched to a 257 era he's only 27 years old um You know, he now he is he has had one Tommy John surgery, but he has looked pretty good. Um, And uh, one other baseball note, uh, Yankees announced that 21 of their games are going to be streamed on Amazon Prime Video this year. Um, They're also they're all these are also games that are scheduled to be on WPIX. WPIX. Uh, In New York, they're not games that are on the yes network. They're produced by yes, but they're scheduled to be broadcast over the air on WPIX. So for people that uh, out of the area that can't get PIX, they can stream those games on Amazon Prime. And I think everybody's got an Amazon Prime account these days, don't they? Uh, So uh, uh, if you are out of the New York area and you're a Yankee fan, you'll still be able to watch them because they'll be on Amazon Prime video if you don't have an MLB TV account. Uh, That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We've got high school basketball coming up for you tonight at 6 o'clock from Cromwell High School. It'll be Valley Regional at Cromwell in the semifinals of the Shoreline Conference Tournament. The winner of that game will play the winner of the Morgan East Hampton game uh, in the championship on Saturday. So, hope you can join us for that. That's coming up at 6 o'clock tonight. We leave you this morning with some music from Elton John. Today is his 74th birthday. Here's one of my favorite songs by him Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.